The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 433 for September 21st, 2014. Verizon expands its XLTE network and fires up voiceover LTE calling. Sprint normalizes pricing across its prepaid brands. And the iPhone 6 arrives to long lines and excited users. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application. Available now for Android, the iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, first this week, Verizon on Thursday announcing it has expanded its XLTE footprint by 22 markets. Verizon LTE runs on the 700 megahertz network over most of its nationwide coverage, but it also has been adding coverage in the 1700 megahertz bands throughout the last year. According to Verizon, four out of five of its LTE markets now have dual band 700 and 1700 megahertz coverage, which is available in about 400 cities and towns across the country. Verizon didn't name the 22 new markets, though, that it launched. Verizon also made some network announcements this week, most notably that VoiceOver LTE is available to the Samsung Galaxy S5 and LG G3. Now, in order to use the service, subscribers need to download an app called Advanced Calling 1.0, which will be made available to more devices over time. In order for VoiceOver LTE to work, both parties must have a VoiceOver LTE-capable phone and access to Verizon's 4G LTE network. The service is free to use and offers higher quality calls over the data network rather than the traditional CDMA voice network. Separately, Verizon said that like AT&T, it's going to wait until 2015 to launch Wi-Fi calling. Verizon CFO Fran Shamo said it will eventually roll out the service, which is supported by the Apple iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, but he says is not a priority. Quote, we built our voice platform so extensively that there was never a need for us to tell our customers our network is not good enough, so you have to go to Wi-Fi to complete your call said Shamo, end quote. Now, uh, talking about this real quick, so um, it uh, we're going to get to voiceover LTE in a second, but just going to Wi-Fi here, the uh, the idea behind the Wi-Fi calling is not that you're necessarily have a, a network that can't support it. It's to, when you're in areas that uh, just absolutely you're not going to get coverage in, in any regard, I think, is, is where it makes sense uh, to have this. So I spend a lot of my time every day in an area that doesn't have any sort of cellular coverage, doesn't matter on the provider, Verizon included, and, uh, you know, a basement area, and it's just not going to happen. And it's, it's a space that is in a concrete box, essentially, that has uh, Wi-Fi run into it. So I'd love to be able to still take advantage of voice services. And uh, until they add this, I'm still going to be using something like a, a Google Voice and the Hangouts application in order to make calls when I need to. Well, that, that comment by the CFO is pretty ignorant, really. I mean, he should really just uh, shut his mouth and move on to uh, to accept the fact that some people can't get a cellular signal where they're at and, and be able to take advantage of using their network and using their minutes uh, in places where it's just not possible. So it, it's uh, I wish this guy would get a little common sense here. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's right. I mean, I, I ultimately want to see more features than less. And I understand it's a technological thing that they have to address. And, and that's great. They'll get to it when they get to it. But just say, we're going to start, we're going to address it and we'll be launching in 2015 and then just stop talking. You know, there's no need to try and justify uh, whether you're doing this or not doing it. Uh, ultimately, I think it's uh, I think it's a great thing to have. And uh, I'm excited to see that T-Mobile has it and AT&T will be rolling it out. And here, ultimately, Verizon will have it. It's just going to 
take a little bit of time before it goes out. Going back to voiceover LTE on Saturday, Verizon announced that its advanced calling 1.0 feature is available on the Apple iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. Voiceover LTE calls will work between two Verizon voiceover LTE enabled devices. The only other Verizon devices that support it, like we mentioned, are the S5 and G2. Uh, in order to enable this, if you've got a new iPhone, you actually have to go in and manually do this. I'm not sure why they're not pushing this out, uh, but go into Settings, Cellular, Enable LTE, and then tap on Voice and Data. Right now, uh, when you get your iPhone 6, it only says Data. So tap on Voice and Data. You have to do it when you're in LTE coverage. Uh, I made that mistake yesterday, and I had another person who corroborated it that you cannot do it when you're in 3G coverage. So once you go in, Settings, Cellular, Enable LTE, tap on Voice and Data. I was able to do a test call to the voicemail line while on LTE, and then a second call to Joey uh, calling uh, through through his Google Voice number, so definitely not Verizon lines, and uh, was able to download email and pull up websites and run speed tests while on the call. So it is working. Now, during the Apple announcement, they didn't really specify that Verizon's going to have this capability right out of the box, essentially, did they? I mean, this seems like a little surprising to me. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, I, I ultimately, I don't, I don't recall if they, if they said anything about uh, when it was going to happen. But I think that uh, you know, obviously, having it built in, Verizon realized that they should probably get this feature rolled out, and so they have. And uh, ultimately, it's it's a pretty neat thing. I mean, I, you know, if you're on a, a GSM carrier, whether it's AT and T or T-Mobile, you've been running with this feature forever, and uh, this is just something that is a nice thing to see uh, implemented, really. And it's it's kind of just adding, checking that box and adding that feature in there. Um, you know, I, I was concerned about it when I initially switched over to Verizon. I was, I was kind of bummed about it, actually. Uh, I found myself never once in a situation where it actually mattered. So it's uh, now it's just one of those things where I'm going to say, okay, well, I have the feature available, so I suppose I will use it if it's there. But it wasn't something that I absolutely had to have. No, and I told you it, be, it wouldn't be too bad to, to not have simultaneous voice but you know occasionally i have had a situation i think once or twice i've like i wish i had data right now yeah and here's the thing again this is only going to function when you're on an in lte so if you happen to be you know on the road and you're doing something you know in an area where you've only got 3g coverage and so it drops down to the uh, to the CDMA for voice, uh, then you're not going to be able to do this. So don't expect it all the time. But if you live and work and spend most of your time in LTE coverage, you should have no problem using this. And it seems like wherever I'm at these days, I'm only in 3G now for all of a sudden. I, so I don't know exactly what's going on there. Yeah, I'm not really sure either. I, I kind of that's been my experience as well as of late. But uh, I'm going to stick it out here for a little bit and, and see how it goes. And there's always uh, there's always that ability to change and switch over to uh, to another carrier, right? So uh, either way, uh, good news here that this is now available and uh, it is working. Like I said, I've been able to test it with a couple of different calls. It does work. I have not tested out HD calling. I have not talked to anyone else with a, an iPhone 6 yet, although I do have two. I suppose I could call myself and, and hear what that sounds like. But um, keep in mind, though, too, you may need to go into your Verizon account and enable HD voice in order to make sure uh, that you have this. You can go into manage features and just do a quick search for uh, VOLTE and of course, they have it branded as Advanced Calling 1.0. So you do search for either of those in your account and you'll find it. And uh, just check that box or make sure that it's checked. Mine was automatically checked as soon as I went in and to Settings, Cellular, Enable LTE, and then tapped on Voice and Data. It did it for me. So either way, it's up there. It's working. And uh, we move on with life.
type now as we now have this feature that everyone else has had for years. Next up, Sprint on Monday announcing that the cost of its prepaid service plans will mirror those offered by Boost Mobile and Virgin Mobile. All three include unlimited talk and text, but vary in the amount of data available each month. The $35 plan includes one gig of data. The $45 plan has three gigs and the $55 plan has six gigs. The new plans are available to Sprint prepaid beginning immediately. T-Mobile on Wednesday made its personal cell spot available to customers, offering a free way for users to uh, use their coverage and have their service in areas not normally covered by the carrier's network. The cell spot is a Wi-Fi hotspot, not to be confused with a femtocell. This prioritizes voice traffic over data traffic on the network and can hook into any existing home network. The router costs $100 to own outright, but T-Mobile is allowing people to take one home for a deposit of only $25. All new T-Mobile smartphones will have Wi-Fi calling enabled moving forward. T-Mobile's existing customer base will be able to add Wi-Fi calling to existing handsets through a software update, though T-Mobile didn't say when we could expect that or which devices would get it. Separately, T-Mobile customers will be able to start sending text and picture messages as well as listening to voicemail via the Wi-Fi networks provided by GoGo in select airplanes. T-Mobile says that more than 2,000 aircraft offer the service in the U.S. for in-flight messaging. That is coming free to T-Mobile customers. So any T-Mobile customer out there, uh, I would highly recommend picking this thing up, actually, if you don't have a really good router at home uh, and you have that uh, capability of, of having your own router, uh, depending on your internet service, because this is a, a pretty high-end ASUS router with uh, AC Wi-Fi, and uh, even the, the normal retail price is actually higher than the $100 if you even buy it outright from them. So uh, definitely check that uh, device out because it's a pretty sweet unit. And there were a number of reviews that uh, hit the web this week, and so I read through a couple of those, and it does seem like it actually works fairly well, quite uh, quite good, and actually better than most routers that are out there. It's got multiple antennas on it and uh, runs over AC, and so just generally is a is a is a good router, as Joey points out. It is, and it was actually something I was interested in picking up for myself, just uh, not because of T-Mobile, but uh, it also supports the DDWRT, the open source uh, router firmware. It probably wouldn't in this case. You wouldn't you wouldn't want to do that for the the T-Mobile aspect, but just as a side note. Yeah, I would be probably looking to run this side by side with my current network and uh, would just have only select devices that would be using it, uh, i.e. the uh, um, the phones and stuff like that. Just, I don't know. I, that's just kind of what I'm thinking. Joey's shaking his head. He, he nah, totally you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to do that. Really. You wouldn't need to do that. Actually, the, the, the more Wi-Fi channels would be probably be more of a hindrance than actually helpful. Yeah, that 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 is a good point, isn't it? Uh, running multiple networks is obviously a very can be a complex thing because of that channel interference. So if you decide to use it, make sure you know what you're doing and to uh, set those channels apart from each other. In device news, Apple on Monday announcing pre-orders for the iPhone six and six plus have topped all previous set records, achieving four million device sales in the first twenty four hours. That pre-sales went on order, or pre-orders went on sale. Although the iPhone 5S did not have pre-orders at all last year, for comparison, Apple sold 9 million iPhone 5Ss and iPhone 5Cs in their opening weekend. The 4 million number is a pretty massive one, easily beating previous pre-order numbers. The iPhone 5 managing 2 million pre-orders in 24 hours back in 2012. Customers looking to buy online face waiting periods spanning between four, seven, uh, four days excuse me, seven days up to four weeks. However, it depends on which model that you're buying because there are still some available. 
Yeah, the uh, the iPhone uh, 64 gigs specifically in gold is still available from Verizon. I don't know about the other carriers, but that one seems to be, uh, it, it was available. I ordered mine this morning because my uh, eligibility date finally hit today. So I was able to do that because it's a business account. So I couldn't uh, I couldn't do it through their website or do it early. So I had to, to do it that way. So it was a quick and easy order experience this morning. I didn't want to wait uh, two to three weeks for a different 64 gig uh, model just because that's really sweet price point right there. And I just don't need 128 in the phone. So uh, that's what I ended up with. Yeah, and it's exciting. Uh, you know, I think it's fun to, you know, always fun to get new devices, of course, and and uh, to to see this one available still this uh, this far into it. You know, we're at what are we at ten days after pre-orders officially started, and so yeah, that's 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 great news if you're looking to get one. Now, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the experience because obviously, as I've alluded to here a couple of times, I do have not one but two, and so when I did my pre-orders, um, I had both of the leather cases that I ordered shipped uh, directly to me. Those arrived on Thursday. I didn't want to do the in-store pickup on those. Now, let me clarify. You're not carrying an iPhone 6 and an iPhone 6 Plus in your hands, right? I am not. I have one for me uh, and then one for my wife. That's that's what it is. So black 60, I call it black, space gray, uh, 64 gig and white slash silver 64 gig. So uh, got both of those ordered. And uh, Friday comes around and, uh, oh yeah, so anyway, the cases arrived on Thursday at home. So that was nice. So I had those. Friday comes around and uh, get up and, and went over to the Apple store that I had set to have them uh, to, for personal pickup. Now, you may ask why I did that. Well, I, I did a little bit of traveling and uh, so I didn't want to uh, be in a, a position where I was waiting on FedEx and potentially miss a flight if uh, that was you know going to happen. If you know Sometimes they have so many, so many uh, devices that they're delivering that they don't come in until six or seven at night and I, that would have been a problem for me. Well, it would have been, but uh, I suppose at that point you probably could have just left them, left them at home, I suppose. Pose. But here's the thing, you need to sign for them. And if I would have had them shipped to home, then that would have been a problem. Uh, I didn't want to have them shipped to work and, you know, had them sit there, you know, over the weekend and I'd just be stewing about them not having them. So anyway, this was my mindset, at least at midnight when I ordered these things is that I wanted to do the personal pickup. So I went in eight o'clock and, uh, you know, like, uh, the unsavvy person I can sometimes be, I walk in, I walk right up to the front of the Apple store and there's like people just kind of milling around and stuff like that, but there's no line. And I was like, well, this is kind of weird. And so I just walk up to the front and I said, hi, I'm here to pick up a pre-order. And they said, did you come from outside? And I said, what do you mean outside? And he I said, yeah, I came from the parking lot. And he said, from the line, I said, oh, there's a line outside. He said, he just kind of smiled at me. He said, oh yeah, <laughs> there's a line. And uh, so it, it, if you have, if you've seen the Christmas story, it was like where he goes to go see Santa Claus and he walks up right to the front of the line and doesn't, you know, he has to go to the back. That was kind of how I was kind of hung my head and started the the long walk out to the uh, the parking lot. So anyway, the good news though on this was that I had uh, a very short line. There's only about 15 people in the personal pickup line and well over a thousand people in line waiting to purchase that day. It was just unbelievable. Whoa. So yeah, I, I was I was looking at that thinking there's no way these that the, there's going to be this number of devices at the wow, store. Wow, so. that's crazy. Yeah. So anyway, so about 15 minutes later, get in the store. And uh, so they they start the process. I had to bring, you know, the the pre-order barcode or whatever it was and went in. And uh, they the first one that they got, and this is important. Uh, the first one that they got was they went and got my wife's brought it over, um, you know, scanned the, the box of the device and on their their little handheld device, they go through the process of getting this thing uh, activated and set up at least 
I say that because they do activate it at that time, which I did not know. And uh, if you followed this so far, this was my wife's device. And furthermore, my wife uh, was traveling as well. So she is now a thousand miles away and I've got her phone, which is then activated. <laughs> so uh, I didn't realize it until they processed my phone secondly. And I picked up my, I was sitting there, I was on my old phone when she was working through the stuff on my new phone. And all of a sudden it, my, you know, LTE dropped down to 3G and it said, cannot activate cellular data. And at that point, I looked over at her as she's doing her thing on the uh, on the handheld device, and it just hit me. And I said, okay, this is now active. That means my wife's phone is now active, and I have this. So fortunately, I was able to track her down about 20 minutes later um, at another phone number and tell her that, hey, she wasn't going to have a phone until later that night when I finally met up with her. But uh, ultimately, yeah, it was one of, of those course, things. The, yeah, the best time when you're traveling to not have a phone. That, that's the worst possible time to have that happen. I felt I felt so bad. It was it was certainly not intentional, of course, and uh, you know ultimately it worked out. But it was it was one of those things. This is and, and this whole experience really tells you, you know, if you're especially when you're traveling, things are so stressful, and you're trying to focus on the things you you really need to focus on, and probably not the best time to go and pick up new phones and get new phones activated and stuff like that. So. In hindsight, probably shouldn't have done that and should have just should have just waited. And the other point is, is when you go and pick up a phone in the store, they will activate it for you right there. That's how they get you out the door with the phone is by activating it. So just know that when they say, do you want us to open it up and set it up for you right here? Of course, you know, most of us say, no, I'll, I'll do it on my own time and I'll get it done. Well, your own time may be accelerated because you won't have a phone if you walk out the door at that point. Yeah, that's real interesting. It is. I mean, it's a better customer service for, for 95% of the people. But yeah, in special circumstances like this, yeah, you should have just waited until you got done with your trip to uh, to go get the phones. Yeah, exactly. So either way, uh, I've got them uh, both. I, you know, I've got the phone here. I've been using it all weekend. And so far, it's it's a bigger iPhone. I mean, this is really what it is. Uh, Joey and I were talking before the show. It's interesting because, you know, going from the iPhone 4 and 4S design up into the 5 was, was more than just a, a bigger screen and having LTE enabled. The phone really uh, was a big leap forward in, in functionality and uh, just how the performance of the device uh, was. And and from iOS 6 to 7 and now 8, that phone still performed very well. And so I will tell you just from a just from my perspective, from day to day use with the, the 6, it's not that much different speed wise. It's relatively imperceptible uh, to uh, to the 5. Now, if you run benchmarks on it and you do all of those types of things, absolutely, you're going to see different things. But I've used people's 4s and 4s's recently, and those are so sluggish. And they, they I mean, it's 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 almost unusable, in my opinion. But the 5 was still cooking right along. So just if you're someone who's waiting for your 6, um, and, uh, you know, or you're waiting to order, because maybe you've got a, a different contract date or something like that. I will tell you, I, I didn't other than the, the larger screen size. Um, I do. I, I love the fun. I love the design. I love how light it is, how thin it is. It's all that's all very good stuff. But from a performance perspective, I am not seeing the the jump that I thought I would. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, I figured you would because, you know, jumping two generations where I came from the, you know, I, I somewhat recently, only a few months ago, got a 5S to use. This, uh, I had the same experience, Mickey. I know we, we talked about it on the show before. I'm like, it, it doesn't seem any faster than the 5. And and it just goes to show the 5 was just an amazing leap forward uh, from the 4S at that time. And considering today that they still sell it as the 5C, um, you know, the same processor and everything. And now we've got now two generations ahead and it's barely 
faster noticeable that i mean that's completely not apple-ish because you know normally they kind of almost double the speed every generation but we've we've kind of leveled off now so this is definitely goes to show if you're gonna if you don't have a five yet and looking for a cheap upgrade that's probably the way to go right now well, I, I, and I would I would argue that the, the bigger screen is 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 pretty is pretty nice. Uh, I, I do like that a lot. Um, but but yeah, to that point, it's kind of like saying the, the best way I can put it is if you've got you know like a one point eight or a two gigahertz computer that you're using right now, and you upgrade to like a two and a half or three gigahertz computer, yeah, on paper it's much faster. But for day to day tasks, for launching email, for browsing the web, for launching apps and stuff like that. It's 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 not as big of a change as say someone coming from the fourth generation, uh, or the the four and the four S upgrading to the six. You're going to see that massive you know functionality and performance improvement there. So, um, but uh, but generally overall, it's it's been uh, it's been really good so far. Obviously, I don't have Apple Pay to test out yet. Um, I had I did not have Touch ID before, so I'm I'm now getting uh, getting my first experience with that. I do enjoy that. And, uh, you know, I, like I said, I like the, the bigger screen size. I've got an extra row of icons now on there. Um, I'm really glad I went with this size. I'm still getting used to that. Uh, it is it is definitely bigger and it's it's it, it does take uh, it does take a little bit of getting used to. But, um, you know, perhaps uh, it'll just take some time. And, and ultimately, I'll say, well, maybe even a little bit bigger, you know, and the 5.5 on the plus side would be would be a nice one for the next one. But I'm happy to, to have made this jump to this one. So then how do the uh, the old apps look on the newer size screen? Because obviously the, the, the DPI is the same, but the screen has more pixels up and down. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, and to be honest, they they look quite bad. They look cartoonish. They they are it, it just doesn't seem to flow in the way that you would want to for it to do. Uh, you know, you know, when you look at something and it's very noticeable when you consider how messages and mail and, and those type of applications are now providing you additional information, essentially at the same size, the same font size as what you had before. So you get more information on the screen. All this is doing is taking that old screen resolution and just increasing it proportionally to make it fit, which doesn't look very good. Ugh, so it's not, you know, what, what they handled, they handled the transition from the, the iPhone uh, 4S to the 5, where they increased the screen size to the 4 inches from 3.5. They just had uh, letterboxing, where then the, the, the actual DPI of the apps were all still the same. So they didn't employ that this time around. They didn't letterbox the, the top and sides. No, they did not. It, it, it looks like uh, it just it doesn't look good. I mean, the, using an I, iOS six application on iOS seven was was a pretty grading experience. This is I would say equally as grading, where you're just you kind of look at it and you're like, I don't, you know, from a functionality perspective, it's good to have that there, but but we've just got to get these these developers updating these apps, and and hopefully the, the the ones that you use on a regular basis will get updated because it's just you'll notice it. You'll you'll know exactly what I'm talking about the first time you launch one of those apps. Yuck! I wish there'd be an option to uh, turn letterboxing on because I would prefer that a sharp you know sharp experience versus that because I've got a uh, I, I recently picked up a Surface Pro 3 uh, for work and that's got a nice super high res 12 inch uh, screen on it but half of the Windows system stuff still sh- it's all been scaled up so all the, the, the fonts are all blurry it just drives me insane and I, I, I do not like that yeah, it's going to be pretty much the same type of experience with with you know some of the stuff to to start out with. So uh, just keep that in mind. It, it it is kind of annoying, and it is what it is, I guess, at this point. So, uh, but uh, but yeah, everything is is functional. Um, you know, I, I did a, a restore, which is the first time I've done a restore for a phone. Usually, I just start over. Um, obviously, I would have probably started over if I would have had a phone that I could have activated on my own time. But of course, then it was also in the middle of a work day. So I'm like, well, I need a phone here. So let's get this thing uh, upgraded and, and cooking along. 
Um, so, but, uh, you know, generally it, it's, it's moving along. So <laughs> I've, again, traveling, it's one of those things you kind of get a, an interesting perspective on just how your use is and your, uh, you know, what's important to you. And, and so far so good with this one keyboard is nice. I like the extra, you know, real estate there to be able to type on a bigger keyboard. So lots of, lots of good things to like about it. And I'm sure we'll talk more about it here next week, Joey, when you have yours and we can compare notes on the two other device news this week, Google and its partners on Monday revealed the first three Android one handsets It initially announced back in June. The premise of Android one is to bring low cost handsets to the greatest number of people around the world being announced this week. Google worked with hardware makers, component suppliers, and wireless network operators to develop in expensive smartphones for India. They are known as the Carbon Sparkle 5, the Micromax Canvas A1, and the Spice Dream Uno. The phones include front and rear cameras, large touchscreens, MediaTek processors, dual SIM card slots, and memory card slots. They also will give you FM radios and removable batteries, and they're all being sold for just about $100. According to Google, the devices will ship with Android 4.4 KitKat, but uh, will be among the first to receive Android L later this year. Google will provide all system updates to these devices, and they said that it has signed more OEMs to the Android One project, including Acer, Alcatel OneTouch, Asus, HTC, Intex, Lava, Lenovo, Panasonic, Exelo, and chipmaker Qualcomm. Google plans to expand the Android One program to Indonesia, the Philippines, Bangladesh, Nepal, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka later this year, with more to follow in 2015. The goal is to reach more than 5 billion people using Android phones on the internet here uh, at some point in the future. So very, uh, very interesting, uh, this project here. And, uh, you know, nice to see that Google is putting some resources towards essentially a market that is largely untapped at this point. Well, Sprint on Monday announcing the LG G3 Vigor. This is a low-end smartphone with a volume and screen lock key on the backside like LG's other flagship devices. The phone has a 5-inch 720p HD display with a quad-core 1.2 gigahertz Snapdragon 400 processor. The phone runs Android 4.4.2 KitKat and is compatible with Sprint Spark. Sprint includes HD voice and Wi-Fi calling in the device and sells it for $300 with no contract. Sprint will offer the LG G3 Vigor for $12.50 a month on Sprint Easy Pay. Sprint on Tuesday also announcing its brands will soon offer the HTC Desire 510. HTC announced the 510 last month, which is an entry-level handset with LTE, Android 4.4, a 4.7-inch display, and a 1.2 gigahertz processor. It's got 1 gig of RAM and 8 gigs of built-in storage. Sprint plans to sell the device with its postpaid service uh, and the Desire 510 uh, in stores starting September 19th and $8.34 a month on Sprint. Easy pay, full retail price, $200. Boost Mobile will sell it starting on the 22nd for $100 and Virgin on the 23rd for $100, both without contracts. The 510 is also being sold by Cricket Wireless. ZTE on Tuesday announcing that moving forward, all of its phones for the U.S. market will use the ZTE brand. Many of its previous brands uh, phones were branded by carriers such as Boost and T-Mobile. Uh, the uh, Along with the branding announcement, they announced the ZMAX. This is a large screen phone exclusively to T-Mobile here in the U.S. The ZTE ZMAX has a 5.7-inch HD screen Gorilla Glass 3 and an 8 megapixel camera with flash. It has a 3400 milliamp hour battery, runs Android 4.4, Snapdragon processor, 16 gigs of memory, and a memory card slot. Available this week, September 24th, for $252, full retail price or 10 bucks a month on a payment plan. Samsung uh, also announcing devices this week. The uh, or Actually, they announced pre-orders this week. The Galaxy 
Keynote 4, available starting on September 19th. It will be shipping a month later, October 17th, if you're ordering that Note 4. Samsung said the Note 4 will be available in black and white and carried by AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, Verizon, and U.S. Cellular, as well as other regional carriers. Full retail price for the phone, $826 or $300 on a two-year agreement with AT&T. Uh, just for perspective, obviously, uh, looking at the new iPhones, those are going to be $750, $850, and $950 without contracts. If you buy the 128-gig uh, uh, 6+, plus, that would be $950 for that. So it's, uh, it's right in line with that if you're looking to pick up one of these. Basically, the price of a computer for the largest smartphones that are out there. In software news this week, Twitter updating its iOS application. A new version of Twitter places greater emphasis on user profiles and makes them easier to use. Twitter says that bios are visible as soon as you get to the profile page for any given user and no longer requires a swipe to access. Also, Twitter takes advantage of some of the new features in the operating system from Apple, so owners running iOS 8 will be able to interact directly with push notifications from Twitter, meaning you can retweet, favorite, and follow directly from the notifications as they appear on the screen. So you don't have to go into the application to deal with those functions. In other software news, Microsoft launching a limited promotion that will double OneDrive users' free storage up to 30 gigs. Microsoft already offers 15 gigs of free storage for uh, online, and uh, those who sign up for OneDrive accounts between now and the end of September will see their free storage jump up to 30 gigs. The offer is good for all users of OneDrive, including people using Android, iOS, Mac, Windows, and Windows Phone. Microsoft also includes incremental amounts of additional storage, usually around 3 gigs when you choose to back up your camera roll to a OneDrive account. And right on schedule, Apple on Wednesday releasing iOS 8 for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch 5th Gen. iOS 8 offers a number of features, including new word prediction and support for third-party keyboards, family sharing for iTunes content, continuity for seamless messaging across devices, uh, revised gallery and camera applications, and improved spotlight searching, as well as the ability to send and receive multimedia more easily through the messaging application iOS 8 is compatible with the iPhone 4S, 5, 5S, and 5C, as well as most iPads. It comes pre-installed on the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, which of course went on sale this week. The update can be installed over Wi-Fi or iTunes. So, you know, Apple called this uh, an update um, not too much unlike the one where they introduced the App Store. And and while I think it's significant, I don't know if I'd call it that much uh, improvement, but there's a, a just a complete truckload of, of uh, productivity improvements, like the replying to iMessage from the, the, the banner uh, notifications, where I can just quickly reply without getting out of what you're doing. Uh, some of the, the, you know, the easy access to contacts, the, the mail continuity. I've actually used that a couple of times and the, the draft thing where you can take the email that you're working on, slide down to the bottom and go into your email and look for something or look something up or copy and paste something and then put it back into the email that you're working on. Those things really, really do boost the functionality. Absolutely. And I, I'm with you. I've been using a few of those as well. Um, you know, I do a lot of uh, switching back and forth between messages. And I'm, I'm really happy to when I'm doing email, and I'm really happy not to have to save the draft and then go back into the draft, although uh, there was a pretty slick shortcut that they had in there before. But this is even easier. So it is nice to see that. And ultimately, it's going to be even better once uh, Yosemite comes to the Mac side so that we can uh, see some of this over here as well. 
And while we don't have the iMessage continuity yet, we do have the phone calling continuity, which I didn't realize was included in the iOS 8 until all of a sudden I uh, saw the iPad start ringing when my phone was ringing. I'm like, what is going on here? And then I had to kind of look it up and, and realize that that feature is actually enabled already for, for, for making outgoing calls. You have to go into FaceTime, which is kind of bizarre. They didn't create like a separate phone dial or app or, or phone app on the iPad. But if you go into FaceTime, you can just place a phone call. You can type in your phone number digits and, and make a call through your iPhone. Yeah, and this this is a really interesting thing for me. Uh, you know, I've been really using my iPad quite a bit lately with uh, an external keyboard, uh, Bluetooth keyboard that's been attached to it. Uh, and it's it's really mostly what the iPad has been has just been a consumption for media device and then an email device. And uh, so seeing something like this kind of makes me uh, take pause and think, well, maybe I could actually use this a little bit more and take it with me a little bit more. I I don't know. It, it hasn't been as portable for me lately as, as I would hope and, and would want to be using it. So um, I, I'm not, what I'm saying is, is that something like being able to make phone calls from the iPad is, is very intriguing to me because ultimately I'll just say, well, I've got my phone with me. I don't need to bring my iPad. But if I'm in a situation like when I, I, I this, this, this is my, this is my situation, get home from work, want to just put the, the phone down and uh, plug it in and uh, just deal with anything that comes in from the iPad for the rest of the night and just kind of have that in the general area with me. But I don't need the phone in my pocket all night long when I'm walking around the house. And so I'm interested to see that and still be able to get then phone calls on the iPad. Absolutely perfect use case scenario for that. That's absolutely perfect because, yeah, you, and then it doesn't matter. You don't need the privacy either because of, obviously it's a speakerphone unless you have headphones with you uh, to plug into it or, or a Bluetooth headset to use with the iPad at that point in time. So, I mean, which, of course, you could do as well if you're at home. You could have one sitting around. But anyway, that was, uh, you know, that is exactly where this comes in handy. If you're just kind of bumming around the house without your phone, your iPad rings, you can take the call. It's just It just really adds that, to, that little extra bit, something that you probably won't use a ton, but you just then don't have to have the phone with you in your pocket. That's right. And uh, certainly I think there's there's some other advantages of it too for those that are looking to, uh, you know, to perhaps to use it in, in, a, in a different way. I'm not sure, um, you know, if it means like leaving the phone at your desk and taking your iPad with you, but you're still on the same network. Actually, that is a perfect scenario because I'm always in a conference room and I always have to go, oh, I got to pull my phone off the charger and, and go get it. So yeah, that's a great idea. I think it needs Bluetooth range, though, to initiate that. I, I think. I don't know if it works on the same Wi-Fi network. I Actually, I'll have to do some tests this week to see if that uh, is the case. But I have a feeling it uses Bluetooth to, to maintain that communication line. Right. So, and if that is the case, then you've got about a 30 foot range or maybe a little bit more, but, uh, but yeah, ultimately, so you wouldn't be able to, as an example, take it throughout like a, a, a corporate campus environment if it, your phone is, you know, many buildings away. But I think it's still, but it, I know it does use Wi-Fi for the, the actual, you know, uh, probably, probably a voice over IP style connection between the two devices. It uses that still, but I think it still needs Bluetooth. I think. Interesting. So uh, all of this said, uh, we got iOS 8 for all of our existing devices and the new 2, 6, and 6 Plus devices, uh, but it did not come with HealthKit uh, thanks to a bug. Now, I say it did not come with it. The application came with it, but it's not working. According to Apple, they said they had a bug that prevents uh, them from making HealthKit available in iOS. They're working to have that fixed uh, by the end of the month. So as an example, I tried to uh, use RunKeeper almost every day. I tried to launch RunKeeper uh, and it would not, the hook wouldn't go into a health kit. So um, it's, it's still got a little bit of a uh, little bit of an issue there. So anyway, we'll see how that uh, all plays out and comment back on that once it's all complete. 
Uh, moving on to questions and comments for the week. Uh, we had a lot of them this week, uh, as you would imagine, mostly about uh, the the Apple announcements and the new uh, phones that are out this week. First one is a comment from Ben, and he says, Mickey, I listened with interest about your own thinking regarding T-Mobile versus Verizon. As you may recall, I'm on T-Mobile with the phones, but I also went with Verizon for my iPad. Uh, you may recall the Sandy Storm here in New Jersey, and under many circumstances, I'm really glad that I had Verizon service on my iPad mini. I have no regrets about the tremendous amount of money I saved, though, with T-Mobile paying for four separate phones. Having that back door, if you like, with Verizon on my mini has been valuable. So this is what I was thinking about this week, too, is... Um you know, depending on how things go uh, with with Verizon, uh, I I don't know what it is. I, I just have been just not as impressed with them as of late, and so thinking about making a switch over to T-Mobile and uh, considered that maybe bring, bringing over just my phone and leaving my iPad on Verizon, so I still have that uh, that backup if I need it for data uh, with uh, Verizon, and so I, I may end up doing something like that because I would still leave my my wife on Verizon. So I'd be able to share the data with the iPad. So the actual net amount would be would would essentially be zero as far as the pricing difference. I would be paying a, the same amount, so I wouldn't be saving um, a lot of money by switching over because I'm on a family plan and I've got all of these devices sharing data right now. When of course, an extreme situation like a hurricane where you've got a natural disaster, I mean, it never hurts to have diversity as far as you know redundancy in in a different carrier because. Some may work uh, part of the time and, and some, uh, you know, the other carry may work uh, the other part of the time. So in the natural disaster case, I mean, it never hurts to have a, a different carrier. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, like I said, I, I spent this week, uh, this weekend, I should say, traveling. And uh, one of the locations that I was at was a pretty rural area. And uh, it was at that point that I realized just how valuable Verizon was. I mean, this is was in an area, a town of less than a 1,000 people, um, you know, 30 plus miles away from the nearest town that had over 20,000 people. And uh, I had LTE service on Verizon. It just blew me away that I was able to to run speed tests, you know, and uh, to use the service just as I would uh, in, in my hometown. Uh, or into the town where I live. And here's even what's better is that it was a better experience <laughs> because there were fewer users on it. So pretty interesting stuff there. Um, but uh, anyway, Ben, thanks for that comment. And, uh, you know, certainly we'll, it's, it's a dynamic process. It doesn't mean uh, that I'll be on Verizon next week, although yes, it probably does, but <laughs> we'll see what happens in the future. Next up, a comment from Adam. It says, I think you made a little decimal point error in your Apple Pay calculation on the show this past week. You mentioned the $1.2 billion per day uh, that is spent on credit cards. And if Apple gets 10% of all the payments via Apple Pay, that's $120 million. And then uh, 15, or excuse me, 0.15% of that $120 million is only $180,000. Uh, not 1.8 million, as you suggested. Of course, it's still uh, it still is over 65 million dollars per year that they generate, which is a lot of money, but not the 650 million that you mentioned. So off by a factor of 10, Adam. Adam, thanks for that clarification. Yeah, I was kind of doing that off the top of my head, and so yeah, I, I misplaced a zero. But either way, still 65 million dollars a year if all they get is 10 percent of all the transactions that are out there is still a nice little chunk of change that they're getting there from Apple Pay. Next up is a question from Brent. He says, "Hey, Mickey, I uh, got another question since you and I are." in the same boat. Are you going to be doing the iOS 8 update on your current iPhone or are you going to just be waiting since the iPhone 6 will have the new OS anyway? Uh, for me, I'm still back. Uh, I still back up my iPhone via connecting it via a cord via iTunes on my MacBook. 
I would love to not have to update my current iPhone 5 to iOS 8, but my only concern is whether or not there'll be problems when I restore my data from my old phone to the iPhone 6. Will there be any compatibility issues because the old phone has data with iOS 7 and the new one is iOS 8? Thanks for your time, Brent. Uh, well, Brent, um, so to answer the first question, I upgraded right away. Um, 10 o'clock on Wednesday, I think, is when the, the software update came out, and I ended up uh, within uh, probably 10 minutes got it going and uh, downloaded in within, I don't know, an hour I was up and running. So that all worked out just fine. And of course, the data all migrates just just perfectly when you do it that way. Uh, as far as the connecting and transferring uh, with a restore, um, I can tell you firsthand that it works out pretty well. And in my example that I mentioned earlier, where I had my wife's new iPhone 6 with me, and she was uh, remote uh, a 1,000 miles away with her iPhone 5, she had not upgraded to iOS 8 on that phone. And so I had her just do a backup to iCloud. And as soon as that was complete, I did the restore via iCloud on the new iPhone 6, again, a thousand miles away, going from iOS 7 to iOS 8 and had zero problems with it. It upgraded and everything worked and transferred just fine. So, and of course, I would recommend make sure you check the box in iTunes, uh, encrypt data, so then your passwords get uh, stored in there. So definitely do that, uh, hit that checkbox. Uh, and I don't think you'll have any compatibility issues. I mean, certain apps may, but I think for the, the vast, vast, vast majority of applications, there will be no issue with your update. I, know I didn't have any updates date issues even with really old apps that i run the ones that haven't been updated in years and years and years are fine yeah and i honestly i was really impressed with the whole thing i mean it it was it was really nice to be able to not physically have a phone be able to back it up to the cloud and then restore it, it it's a very strange use case that i never thought i would ever have uh, but ultimately it worked out just fine so essentially when i <laughs> flew up and met my wife i got off the plane handed her her new phone and it was just like her old phone uh, and uh, ready to ready to go. So it worked out pretty well. So uh, thanks for that, Brent. And uh, hopefully your upgrade went as smoothly as mine did. Next up, a question from Patrick. He says, hello, TCPJ. Glad to know that you'll be getting the iPhone 6 instead of the Plus. I just want to know uh, if and how many models and SKUs the, of the iPhone 6 that there are. There is a distinction between, or is there a distinction between CDMA, GSM, or the international version, or is the one model out there now to rule them all? Is the T-Mobile version exactly the same as AT&T and vice versa? Do they all have the same LTE bands, etc.? Also, if you can touch on T-Mobile and other carriers when they support Wi-Fi calling, does that mean if I'm in a different country on Wi-Fi, I can still make and receive calls and SMS normally? Are they going to be checking the IP addresses and blocking them when it detects that I'm in a different country uh, and require you to get an international plan? Thanks and great show as always, Patrick. All right, Patrick. So first question first here. So both the iPhone 6 and the 6 Plus come in three different models for each device. So let's take the the four inch iPhone 6 as the example here. So you've got the iPhone a1549, the GSM model, the A1549 CDMA model, and then the A1586. So here's the details of those. So the first one, the A1549 GSM, this is the model that's compatible with LTE networks for major carriers in the US and Canada like AT&T, T-Mobile, Rogers, and Fido. Uh, it supports LTE bands of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 13, 17, 18, 19, 20, 25, 26, 28, and 29. Now, besides the GSM version, it also works on UMTS, HSPA+, and uh, DC HSDPA, and also on GSM and Edge. So this is the model uh, that you're going to get for T-Mobile and AT&T. 
The next one, the A1549 CDMA, this is actually considered the world phone version. It supports all the same frequencies that we just mentioned for the 1549 GSM, but then it also includes the CDMA, EVDO, Rev-A, and Rev-B bands. So basically, it works on all of those other bands uh, that we mentioned uh, as well as the CDMA side. This model is compatible with Verizon and Cricket here in the U.S., and uh, if you buy an unlocked Verizon phone, you'll be able to use it on any of the other GSM networks that are out there like T-Mobile or AT&T. So this one is actually um, the most universal world phone that uh, you can use pretty much with anyone that's out there. So the 1549 CDMA, interestingly. That third device, that 1586, this is being sold locked on some CDMA carriers. So those include C Spire, Sprint, and US Cellular. It's fully compatible uh, with uh, the other networks that are out there, but you won't be able to unlock it. The model works on uh, CDMA, Rev-A, and Rev-B, as well as GSM, Edge, HSPA, and all of those other bands. Um, it does have uh, compatible 4G LTE bands that are FDD LTE in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 13, 17, 18, 19, 20, 25, 26, 28, and 29, and also TD LTE band 38, 39, 40, and 41, which have those corresponding frequencies that we talked about for those other CDMA carriers like Sprint of 2600, 1900, 2300, and 2500 megahertz. So along with the... Um, the iPhone 6 Plus on the A1524, that model supports both TDS CDMA bands of China Mobile and also band 39 for TDLTE. So there's this there's some interesting stuff that's going on here. So essentially, you've got three different devices and uh, you've got uh, you've got all these different models here. But uh, summarizing all of that. So for the US, the for, uh, the A1549 GSM is being sold on AT&T and T-Mobile. The A1549 CDMA is being sold on Verizon. Horizon, and then the A1586 is being sold on Sprint and then also US Cellular and C Spire. Now, regarding your question on Wi-Fi calling, yes, if you have Wi-Fi and if you have a phone that can send and receive voice and texts, as long as the carrier doesn't specifically block the service, you should be able to use it anywhere. And since T-Mobile is pretty open about how they want you to be able to use your device, I don't think that they're going to be blocking international Wi-Fi use uh, for these devices that are that are uh, when you take it over there and use them. I, I don't think so yet, but, uh, you know, we, we never know what they're going to do because that is a good question. Yeah, so the other two to, to consider is that when AT&T and Verizon come out with uh, with this service on them, that could be something that is uh, it is blocked or is at least restricted, and, and we just we won't know until those come out because absolutely they can they can figure that out from an IP address and uh, could allow it only from certain IP ranges and stuff like that. Of course, potential to uh, get around that if you've got a VPN client, I guess if you can uh, show that you you can VPN into a home network uh, as an example back stateside and then potentially use it. So there. There are, I guess, some workarounds that uh, could be helpful to you. So interesting stuff, nonetheless, and uh, certainly will be fun to uh, play play around with here and tinker with as as uh, we start to use our devices more and more on the go as we travel around the world. Well, that is it for questions this week. Uh, if you have anything you'd like us to talk about on a future show, send us an email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or give us a call to 206-203-3734. We'll do our best to get your questions or comments on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.